Our first reading of Scripture will come from the book of Numbers, chapter 15. Numbers, chapter 15, will beginning in verse 27 to the end of the chapter. Or, excuse me, 27 to 31. This reads God's holy word. And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native-born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them. For the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord. And he shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord, he has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. This ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. All gracious and all glorious Father, we pray for your spirit to come upon us, for your spirit to open our eyes, that we may see the wonders of the risen Christ, for the spirit to open our ears, that we may hear of the warnings, the exhortations, the reminders, the encouragement from our God and Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would send forth your spirit to enliven our hearts, that where, that where many of our hearts may be cold, you would bring heat and light. That where there are hearts that may be dead, you may bring life and abundant life, saving sinners. And Lord, where there are hearts aflame for you, may you keep such a fire burning. O Lord, that all in this room may attain to greater likeness to Christ. O Lord, we pray for your spirit to open our eyes to see him in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be reading from verses 19 to the end of the chapter, but our passage will be verses 26 to 39. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse... 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful 
expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will indeed endure forever. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I have always liked Jesus, but I have not always loved him. I've always seen him as a sovereign king, but not always as a sufficient savior. And the sufficiency of Christ is a recurring theme throughout the entire book of Hebrews. The writer moves us through the various aspects of his greatness and sufficiency to fulfill all righteousness. He is a more sufficient revelation. He's greater than the angels and prophets. He's a greater priest than Moses or Aaron. He offers a better rest than Joshua did. He is a greater sacrifice than any offered in the Old Testament. Jesus is shown time and again to be a sufficient Savior. He can save any sinner. But can he keep them? Can he keep you? That's the question I present to you. How does God preserve his people? Our text before us, chapter 10, 26 to 39, presents one of the most challenging texts to my own heart, and I hope to yours, because it confronts us with a stark declaration that we must strive to persevere. Now, what do I mean? Well, if Jesus has died for you, you cannot lose your salvation. We know from the Gospels that Jesus has not lost any sheep whom the Father has given him. We know from the book of Ephesians that those whom the Father chose, the Son redeems and the Spirit indwells and sanctifies will be preserved till the end. And we know from Romans that salvation is sovereignly ordained and carried out throughout history. And earlier in this very chapter of Hebrews, in verse 14, it says that he, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The writer goes on to say in verse 17 that God will remember their sins no more. 
So that vertical perspective, God's perspective on man, is important to keep in mind as we walk through our text. The writer of Hebrews presents in chapter 10 through 26 and following that horizontal perspective. The means by which God's people live out their lives in order to persevere. The writer opens the chapter declaring the sufficient sacrifice of Christ, urges them to hold fast to their confession before delivering a warning, a reminder, and an exhortation to endure in the faith. Chapters like these are the means God uses to bring his servants through this life and into eternal life. So how does God preserve you? How does Christ, the sufficient Savior, become the sufficient preserver? Well, Christ preserves you by issuing a warning, stirring up your memory, and exhorting you to endure. First, Christ preserves you by issuing a warning against apostasy. Verses 26 to 31. Verse 26 reads, For if we, have, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. The writer presents opening, uh, opening with, There is no hope outside of Christ. He warns against what's called apostasy. And that just means a willful rejection against Christ. It warns against the sin of presumption that we take for granted grace. We just assume, well, just because I believe Jesus a week ago or a year ago or 30 or 40 years ago, then I'm just good to go. It doesn't mean anything else in my life. It warns against taking grace for granted. We may say, well, I have been baptized. Yes and amen. It's a means of grace for persevering. I may have been in the church for decades. I may have lived a good life. Well, none of those things matter if you've strayed from your first love, if Christ still isn't the apple of your eye and the deep object of your affection. This is a call to action against just making assumptions about salvation. Now, the sin in question isn't a general sin. It isn't saying, well, just because I've sinned in this way or that way, that means I've rejected Christ. No, it's a particular kind of sin. It's a rejection of what you once believed and professed, a deliberate abandoning of Christ and turning away from God, the opposite of faith, where we lay hold of Christ turning from our sin. The if in our text presents a warning, not a promise that everyone who hears will apostatize or reject Christ. Think of it as a high voltage sign. Those, that's not a promise you'll be shocked to death if you look at the sign. It's a, but it is a warning, a genuine warning that if you do this, you will die. Which brings us to verse 27. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries if you apostatize, if you reject Christ, if you find that that might be you, know that there is a warning. That judgment is coming, a fearful, dreadful expectation of judgment. That phrase is a a legal condemnation in a criminal case. that The judge has rendered you guilty. Fire and fury, that great sign of judgment. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. The flames will come. And those who reject that salvation offered in Christ are seen by God as his enemies. 
We see this warning further illustrated in verses 29 and 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two to three witnesses. And he goes on, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? There is no pity for lawbreakers in the Old Covenant. Justice must be done with exacting force. If the shadow is deserving of such judgment, of how much worse judgment is rejecting the substance? Rejecting Christ is akin to trampling his blood underfoot, disdaining the Lord who has been revealed. It is a turning away. And this is the substance of Christ's preserving warning. You have no, nowhere to go, no argument to present, no one to intercede for you. You become, as it were, a double covenant breaker, breaking the covenant of works under Adam, in which we all are break, have broken. Then you break the covenant of grace, saying, I have received the promise, and I don't want it. And such a warning becomes a disgrace to Christ. We disgrace His Spirit. We insult the Spirit of mercy. Well, what is this warning of judgment based upon? Verse 30, it's based upon who he is. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. That God will vindicate his name. The extent of rebellion will be met with an appropriate response. What does it mean to sin against the eternal God? Is an eternal punishment. And thus the warning. The Lord will judge those who profess to be in his house, but are not actually of his house. And verse 31 presents that one of the most sad things, a fearful judgment. It is a terror to fall into the hands of the living God. Hearing the promises of life, and yet rather than enter into the joy of your master, you enter into the terror of his judgment. He offered grace and you chose Judgment. Christ warns all of us against apostasy. This warning ought to stir us up, not cast us down. This is the very nature of the office of prophet throughout the Old Testament. That one of the things they would do, they would never be sent to when God's people were doing the best they could. Or having, they're always, when, when God's, when religion in the Old Testament were at its height, you didn't read of many prophets. But when God's people were Low, when they're in idolatry and sin, when they were following after Molech or Baal, that's when the Lord sent prophets. Because a warning is a gracious warning from the Lord. It's a warning that says, turn back. I have not forsaken you. The warning's not there to say, this is a promise of judgment. This is a warning that you may come back to me, says the Lord. Do not be discouraged, but consider this a call to action. To return, if that describes you as someone whose heart may be cooled recently. Well, maybe the Christian life is something that I can do in my spare time. Or not consider communion with God a worthy exercise. No, dear ones, consider this a call to action. Hear the warning because it's a gracious warning. God this day reminds you that justice is coming for all who have rejected Christ. And it is a double judgment for those who reject him who claim to be Christians. But the warning 
gives way to a wonderful series of reminders. Christ preserves you by way of warning, and he preserves you by way of reminder. Verses 32 to 35. Verse 32, but recall, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you were made a spectacle. But you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward. Christ preserves you by way of reminder. That word recall is a command. It's in the imperative mood. It is something we all are meant to do to stir up our memories, to remember what God has done. Now, you consider the warnings we just heard. The warnings are like receiving a letter from a court of law. Don't do this or punishment's coming. This reminder is like receiving a letter from a beloved sibling or a childhood friend reminding you, do you remember when you first loved the Lord? Do you remember when you, as he encourages the Hebrews who were suffering as first century Christians under various persecutions, whether it's from the state or from the Jews, do you remember when you were first enlightened, when you were born again and it was worth suffering for your beliefs? uses that phrase enlightened. There's this idea of a, it's a passive sense. This is the when the Holy Spirit of God opens the eyes of believers, opens our eyes to see God for the first time. And it's as if the Bible jumps off the page. Life becomes different. And it is, if you're like me and you didn't grow up in the church and you converted later in life, you can see such a stark difference between what life was like and what life is like now. When you were first enlightened, dear ones, do you remember when the Bible became new to you? When the words jumped off the page? And perhaps you've been through some of the struggles like the writer of the Hebrews talks to the Hebrews about. And he says, remember you endured the struggles when you despised not the shame of suffering for the sake of Christ. You remember the words of our Savior, take up your cross and follow me. Well, that is the declaration of the Christian life. That's what the, he's reminding us. Remember when you would have no problem sharing your faith to your coworkers, to your family, to your friends, despising not whatever they would say to you, knowing that I love Jesus so much that I want you to hear about. And they endured the struggles. You know, he, he says, he, he gives this reminder. Remember when you endured all of these sufferings, you endured by the Spirit of grace, and if you endured then by God's grace, you can endure now. And he goes on in verse 33 to remind them of their early fellowship within the body of Christ. When you suffered with me, you had compassion on me and my chains. You bore the reproaches with those who were suffering. You joined them. Right? The that the love for the saints often reveals our love for Christ. In contrast to the disparaging of the blood of Christ from the earlier warning, he reminds us that 
Remember when you were reproached, when you were hated, when you were belittled, when you were condemned, not because you deserved it, but because of Christ. Remember when your goods were plundered for Christ's sake. This is a remarkable statement. You know, if if you knew right now that your property was getting plundered, and you had the choice of saving your earthly possessions or going to meet the living God in worship, what would you choose? Right there, now, obviously, we're called to preserve the property the Lord has given us. But it does reveal a heart that when you read of these Hebrew Christians, who they would choose to willingly have their goods plundered for the sake of going to the Lord and worship. For the presence of Almighty God to them was more precious than anything in their home. They became a public spectacle. And often you'd read that in the first century and the second century of early Christians becoming the entertainment as they were fed to lions and died in the Colosseum. They were fools for Christ's sake. And this reminder is to say, remember when you were a fool for Christ, a reproach for Christ. Dear ones, oh, to be counted worthy, he reminds these people. Oh, to be counted worthy of the same crown of thorns that graced our Savior's head. He reminds them, of their early sense of perspective, when they had compassion on the imprisoned. And he reminds them of their early confidence, their early confidence in verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward. We're often the source of our own lack of confidence. Often, for many of us, we lack assurance because we are so introspective. We hear the warnings, we, we hear the judgments, we, we stay at Sinai and linger there, but we don't actually flee to Calvary. We hear the law, but don't hear the gospel. We hear the thunder, but don't hear the peace of Christ quieting sin and the storm of guilt and shame. And dear ones, heed the warning, but remember, and this is the writer is so confident, he's remember your confidence that you have great reward. Heed the warning and be stirred up by the reminder he now gives you. Remember when the Spirit of grace first touched your heart and life just seemed brighter. Like putting on glasses with the right prescription. All of a sudden things are put in focus that you originally assumed were always that blurry. But we often get used to new glasses, don't we? Often faster than we realize. And this reminder is necessary because we so quickly fall into the day-to-day monotony of life. Remember your early struggles. Remember how you felt when you first began interacting with the Christians, the Christian life, the Word of God, when it jumped off the page at you. Remember how you felt. Remember the eternal perspective that at the end of all of this life is not just heaven, Not just eternal peace and bliss. Not just eternal joy. It's all of those things because of who is there. Christ himself. Be exhorted. Remember and be exhorted to live by faith. Enduring to the end. Christ preserves you. With an exhortation. To endure. Verse 36 to 39. For you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. 
Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of our souls. Christ preserves you with an exhortation to endure. The stern warning followed by the comforting reminder now results in this emphatic declaration, the rallying call of Christ to his people to persevere to the end. Christ exhorts you to faithfully endure. Now here, when he says, when you have done the will of God, we have here the mystery of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. That God ordains and orchestrates all things, but we're not puppets. We really do live this life in accordance with his sovereign will. Samuel Rutherford, who was a minister in the 1600s, said that duties are ours, but events are the Lord's. We're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're called to persevere, not because we earn, we're not, not because we're kept by faithfulness. No, we're, 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 we're saved by faith and we're kept by faith. But our duties, our actions, our, our working out reveals a heart that really is united to Christ. Hearing the warnings, hearing the reminders, hearing the exhortations propels us forward to more faithful love to the Lord. Verses 37 to 38, Christ exhorts you and I to patiently endure, to wait upon the Lord. And there's probably nothing more challenging, at least to me, in the Christian life than being told to wait. To, to, we don't get the immediate results of what we want. We're never as sanctified as we want. We never are, kill sin as much as we want. We're never far along as we want to be. We want the joys of heaven now. We want the peace of the kingdom of heaven all over the earth now. But we have to wait upon the Lord. He quotes in uh, verses 37 and following, he quotes from the book of Habakkuk. Now in Habakkuk you have the people of God are in exile. The question that Habakkuk asks is, Lord, how are you using the evil Babylonians to crush your people. How could you do this? Well, the Lord responds. The Lord will judge not just his people, but he will also judge the Babylonians. So Habakkuk presents this quote for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. He presents this as an encouragement to the people of God under the judgment of Babylon. The Lord will come. He will judge the nations and he will restore his people. He will come. So we bow and wait until he does. We are exhorted to bow before the sovereign plan of the Lord, knowing that justice and joy are coming mixed together. And the response as we wait upon the Lord is, the just shall live by faith. But the just shall live by faith. The one who is righteous, the one who's been made righteous, declared righteous, one who's in accord with God's standard, that man or that woman, that boy, that girl, who takes confidence upon the object of Christ, he or she shall live. Unlike the warning that rejects Christ, this exhortation is to lay hold of him, accept him, receive him, love him, whether for the first day of your life or for the thousandth, because one day will be the last. And when you enter the grave, you will see the glory of the Lord with eyes of flesh again. 
The just shall live by faith. But then we get the warning. But if he shrinks back, if he draws back, displeases the Lord. Christ exhorts you to endure to the end. Those who shrink back are destroyed. Those who have faith persevere. One writer comments that the design of these verses is to stir up Christians with utmost earnestness in making their calling and election sure to guard them against the danger of backsliding and to bear their trials with submission to the will of God, end quote. And we see the confidence, don't we? This is why, you know, you read these verses. This chapter 10 is a genuine warning, 26 and following. It's a genuine warning. But we see the confidence the writer of the Hebrews has in the people who are hearing this message. Yes, if you reject Christ, you're doomed. Verse 39, but we, but we, he identifies with his hearers. That is as sure as this, I believe the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews, as sure as the Apostle is not condemned. That's how confident he is that his People who hear this message will also endure. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, to damnation, to to the wicked, to evil. But of those who believe the saving of the soul. That word believe is the word faith, pistuo in Greek. It is saving faith. Those who rest upon Christ alone. And because we who believe to the saving of our soul, we believe in Christ, we will persevere. Because the God who saves you sufficiently is the God who can preserve you sufficiently. Well, dear ones, how does God preserve his people? By warnings, by reminders, and by exhortations to endure. Now be warned, genuinely warned that the blood of Christ has been shed for his people. Do not forsake so great a salvation, for there is hope nowhere else. Do not trust in anything apart from him. Do not trust in your age, in your works, who your parents are, who your children are. Do not trust in how outwardly godly you are. Do not trust in anything outside of Christ. He is the only way to salvation. To reject the Lord Jesus is to incur a greater double judgment, a fearsome eternal judgment. And search your own hearts. Does such a warning fill you with fear or dread? Ask yourself the question, is Christ still precious to you? Has he ever been precious to you? Well, here is the mercy of God, isn't it? That if we answer any of those questions with, no, Christ is not as precious to me as he once was, or Christ has never been precious to me, even now, Even now you can believe on the Lord Jesus to the salvation of your soul. Even now, sins forgiven, all of them, to be cast into the sea, remembered no more. While there is still breath, there is still hope. Believe on the Lord and you shall be saved. But there are times, aren't there? where we we know we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the affection, we see our sin, we hate our sin, we love the Lord, but our hearts are cooler than perhaps we would want. Our affections for Christ are cool or even seemingly gone. The fires of a lively faith have become mere smoldering embers. And such times of 
spiritual declension, spiritual affliction. May the warnings of Christ be to you a fan that to breathe new life into an old fire. Stir up your hearts, dear believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that though your affections may wax and wane, the love of God for you in Christ has not altered a degree. Eternal love casts an eternal shadow covering you and preserving you that you may endure to the end. But take heed of the warning. The warning is real and true. To reject so great a salvation is to fall into just and enduring condemnation. For it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But oh, what a glorious thing to be upheld by the gracious arms of your Savior Jesus Christ. Who but Christ can secure your redemption? Remember, he is the all-sufficient and supreme sacrifice. There is no wasted drop of Christ's blood. His blood cleanses and preserves. Amazing grace has brought you safe this far, and it will surely lead you home. Forget not Christ's sufficient work. But when you are tempted, when you are tempted to lose all confidence in your salvation, that is such a, a major temptation, isn't it? Especially after we sin. Especially after we sin again. That, that one sin that may be a continuous mark upon your Christian life. That you just can't seem to shake. And you feel guilty about it again and again and again. You call it to mind. You say, is this, is this sin again? Well, call to mind these reminders. Recall the the command. Remember, amidst your sin, you have a Savior. You endure, not because of your own faithfulness, but because of what the Father has determined, what Christ has accomplished, what the Spirit preserves. The hand that holds you does not crush you, but gently leads you home. Remember, you are not alone in these trials of life. Christ died for his bride, the church. And you patiently endure, not by yourselves. Notice all the plural pronouns. You patiently endure with your brothers and sisters in this room. You together seek. You together march towards. Hearing the warnings, hearing the reminders, hearing the exhortations, you go forth towards Zion, towards your heavenly home. Dear ones, faithfully and patiently endure to the end. Live by faith in the Son of God, knowing Him to be God, acknowledging Him as the true and only way to salvation, but not stopping there. Trusting Him alone for your salvation. Jesus preserves you by issuing a warning, stirring up your memory and exhorting you to endure. He warns you as someone who loves you. He reminds you as someone who loves you. And He exhorts you to endure to the end by placing our faith our trust, our hope in him alone. There is nowhere else to go. So come and follow after your Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Great and glorious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do marvel and we praise the God who saves. Lord, the God who in eternity past elected a people for himself. Lord, that in in history the Son died for such sinners and in our present day 
We even now feel and see the effects of the Holy Spirit of the living God who draws elect from every nation, indeed from even elect from all over this part of Virginia, to worship the Savior of sinners. We pray, Lord, you would apply this word to all of our hearts, that we would be reminded of the great warnings of Scripture, that to turn from Christ is to turn to our own destruction. But, oh God, we are not those who seek our own destruction. We are those who seek Christ. May you stir up our hearts. May we remember and be reminded again and afresh, or maybe even for the first time, that we have a God who saves, who preserves. May we rest upon him alone. Oh Lord, may we all be counted worthy of Christ, not because of our efforts, but because of who he is. Oh Lord, if you this day call us to suffer, may we not flee. But remember our first love. Be reminded of when we first believed, that first spark of love and joy and devotion to Christ. May it cause us to endure whatever you may bring to us, whether it be trials or temptations or sufferings. May we delight in being counted worthy to share the same crown of suffering that Christ did. For one day the crown of thorns will be exchanged for a crown of gold that will be cast down at the feet of him who goes before us and who brings us before the Father, not to judgment, but to endurance, to the salvation of our souls. O Lord, apply this word to us, we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.